Hello and welcome to the Fox Hunt Vixens by the Numbers, your once a week deep dive into all the numbers that matter to Super Netball side, the Melbourne Vixens. The Fox Hunt is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. I'm Erin Delahunty, a freelance netball journalist. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Angari in New South Wales, the lands of the Yeagle people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. If you're five episodes in with us, I'm sure you know what this podcast is all about, blending the feel of what happens on the Super Netball Court with the cold, hard statistics. And to analyse every Melbourne Vixens game with me this season, I'm joined by Dr Aaron Fox from Deakin. Aaron is a lecturer in Applied Sports Science and Research Methods and and he's also a sports data and visualisations guru. To break down the Vixens' fifth win of the season over the Adelaide Thunderbirds at John Kane Arena on Saturday night, here's Aaron who's coming to me from Wadawurrung land. Well, we're back to talking about a win this weekend, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I do feel much more relaxed when we're just <laughs> chatting about a Vixens win. <laughs> it's a nice change. So after that shock loss to the Sunshine Coast Lightning last round, Simone McInnes' side clearly needed and wanted to bounce back against the Thunderbirds, and, and bounce back they did. They were sitting 12-all at quarter time, but they sort of went away with it as the game wore on, winning the remaining three quarters, including a pretty impressive 15-goal final quarters quarter, when T keeper Shamira Sterling she really did everything she could to get her team over the lines but we saw the Vixens win 53-47. The side was without co-captain Kate Maloney who was out under COVID protocols and Hannah Mundy got the start at centre before we saw Liz Watson take over that bib at half time. I think Kira Austin had a pretty solid game and Joe Weston was again mighty in defence. What did you make of the win Aaron? Well, I made some notes right after watching this one on Saturday night and, you know, it was the late game. So maybe it's because I was tired, but my key point was that it felt like a real grind for Mm -hmm. the Vixens to get through. And I haven't seen much of Adelaide this year, but based on the numbers coming out from their matches, it feels like that this might be the match script that they tend to follow. Um, So... I don't know whether I'm going to keep up with much Adelaide games for the rest of the year until they play the Vixens again. Yeah, I do think it's hard to be an Adelaide Thunderbirds supporter. I think that's fair to say without being too unkind. So what of those key numbers jumped out at you, Aaron? Well, I'd say there were elements here that the Vixens were both opportunistic and perhaps a little bit wasteful in this one, Mm -hmm. uh, which probably aligned with the feel of the game, I think. So the Vixens actually outgained the Thunderbirds 14 to 8 in this one, but actually had two more total turnovers overall for the match, Mm. which is indicative of being just a little untidy themselves with the ball. So 16 out of their 24 total turnovers were listed as unforced Uh, on the other hand they were more opportunistic in some defensive areas than the Thunderbirds Mm -hmm. so the Thunderbirds didn't really take advantage of all of those turnovers that the Vixens were giving up where Adelaide only converted 44% of turnovers to goals while the Vixens converted 71% of Adelaide's turnovers to goals and that's something that we've seen characteristic of the Vixens game so far this year Uh, And lastly, both teams missed 11 shots for the match, Um, but the Vixens were able to reel in seven of those defensive rebounds, whereas the Thunderbirds were only able to grab one. So 
once again, the Vixen's much more opportunistic off those misses. Yeah, rebounds are a bit of a theme of this round, I felt, Aaron. I mean, I think the poor old Queensland Firebirds could not buy a rebound against Collingwood. And as a defender, when you get a look at one of those, you know, that's a KPI for most keepers in particular to gobble those up. And it really does make a difference when, you know, it doesn't, you can't capitalise on that. Now, let's talk about Kira Austin for a moment. She was named in the Diamond Squad during the week, and I don't think we can underestimate how significant that is for someone who's coming back from an ACL. Um, she came out this weekend and showed people why uh, Stacey Marinkovic has named her. She wasn't super accurate by any measure, but I thought she was able to sort of influence the contest in, contest in other ways. Yeah, like looking at... Austin's numbers from this match, it was a bit of an all-round performance, I suppose. Uh, she had 16 centre pass receives and five second phase recept uh, receptions. So you put those two together, she was involved in 21 of those early possession chains from the Vixens' 44 centre passes, so almost half of those. She had 15 total goals, which isn't her biggest contribution for the year, but it kind of sits somewhat in the middle of where she's been relative to the other matches, so mm -hmm. more so than some of those earlier rounds. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, she influenced the game in other ways. Perhaps the surprising one here was her four defensive games, mm -hmm. which was actually only second to Joe Weston's seven for the Vixens on the night. Uh, and it equals her highest total for games in a match uh, where she had four um, for the Giants in a game in 2020. Uh, so I, my question back to you, do you think we might see Austin slotting into wing defensive <laughs> this year after this performance? I think Katie's probably safe, to be honest. But, I mean, look, if she does end up at wing defence, I think I owe you a fancy steak dinner at the absolute mm, I'll take that. least. I mean, we are seeing these goal attacks getting into this intercept action. It's happened a couple of times across the league. I don't know how defenders necessarily feel about this. We don't want people to be thinking intercepts are easily gained and not to be celebrated. Aaron. Now, as I mentioned at the top, Hannah Mundy replaced Kate Maloney at centre. I think it's hard to compare anyone to Kate Maloney, who, along with Kira, Liz Watson and, and Joe Weston, were named in the Diamond Squad this week. But how did Hannah go relative to Kate? Yeah, so I took a look at uh, Kate Maloney's season averages for a half across some of the relevant statistics that you might look for. Uh, in that centre position and compared them to Mundy's performance from the first half. She sort of kept up with Maloney relatively well in the attacking play sort of statistics. So if we look at Kate's um, feeds and feeds with attempts per half, she records 11 feeds and about seven and a half feeds with a shot attempt. Um, and mm -hmm. Mundy recorded 14 and eight of these stats in the first half respectively. So actually kind of outpaced Maloney a little bit in those okay. areas. Uh, when we look at second phase receptions per half, Maloney records about four and a half and Mundy actually recorded eight of these in the first half. So getting that ball back after that centre pass was something that mm -hmm. Mundy was perhaps doing more so than, than Kate in this match. Mm -hmm. But perhaps the biggest difference um, we saw might have come from what we expect from Kate Maloney's ability to look after the ball. So Kate only averages about one point three turnovers per half and Mundy actually recorded four of these in the first half on the weekend so it lines up a little bit with what we saw with Vixen's numbers overall but perhaps um, Hannah Mundy was a little bit more untidy with the ball than that experience that comes with Maloney. 
Yeah, oh, that's interesting that there was such a notice, noticeable difference sort of half to half or comparing to what you would normally expect from Maloney in a half. I'm sure that was probably p- part of Simone McInnes's decision-making process in moving Watson in there at half time. But such small things really, a turnover here or a turnover there, but that treasuring of the ball, I mean, as we've just talked about, um, you know, can be the difference between winning and losing. So looking at the overall picture, it felt like the Thunderbirds didn't get nearly as many gains as they usually do, and that's without even considering whether they converted them or not, which has been a hot topic in the league. Am I right? Were they a bit down? And what impact did that have in the long run in the game? Well, from a pure numbers standpoint, you're 100% correct here with the reduced number of gains that the Thunderbirds forced in this matchup. Mm -hmm. The eight they had is the lowest they've had by far this year. Um, With them having 16 in round four, that was their next lowest for the year so far. So still twice as many as they had against the Vixens. Um, And they recorded 19 or more in their other four games for the year. When you talk about that impact and what it had on the match, I actually think it might have been pretty minimal given the unforced turnovers the Vixens produced. So given those unforced turnovers the Vixens were giving out, the Thunderbirds still got the the ball back from the Vixens in general play 24 times, um, which is right up there for them this season. So they've got uh, the ball back from their opponents 25 times in rounds one and three, but never any more than that. So despite having much fewer gains Mm -hmm. this round, they Mm -hmm. still got those opportunities from turnovers. Mm. And now to Watson Watch, which I feel will be back to normal programming this week a little bit, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, it's relatively normal programming because we did see something different for Liz this week, um, switching into centre for most of the second half. Um, And so with that, you know, if you took a superficial look at the stats without considering this switch, she might make it a little bit different. Mm. She only recorded 10 center pass receptions, which is actually a season low for her. But you obviously can't record any of these when you're playing center, right? <laughs> it's, it's a bit difficult, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she also equaled her highest number of contact penalties for the year, which is something, again, you might expect with a bit more involvement in center being down the defensive end. Uh, but... Back to the normal programming, despite this switch to centre, in the second half, she still seemed to be playing that main feeder role to the shooters where the numbers for feeds and feeds with attempts and goal assists, they didn't drop off in the second half with that core position change. So she was still playing that primary feeding role and leading the Vixens in those areas. It was really interesting to see her in there. We're we're so used to seeing her with the WA bib on. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if Maloney is back in the team for for next week, um, if we might see her a little bit more in centre. Now, as I just mentioned, happily, we're back to just one game a weekend. And next up we have the... Now, I'm not sure where you grew up, Aaron, is it Derby or Derby? Or is it which school you went to? Well, I always thought Derby was the Western Australian way and, and Derby was the real Victorian way, right? Oh, look, I don't know. I feel like everyone has a different opinion. I think even on the broadcast of the weekend, we heard it both ways. I think it's Derby, but I'm not sure either. But whatever it is, it's the Vixens taking on Collingwood at John Kane Arena on Sunday. Always a really great game. Both teams bring their their a game the pies now have got two wins under their belt they had that really great weekend uh, win at the weekend over the firebirds so it does shape as a really great 
matchup. So based on the historical data, Aaron, what areas will the Vixens be focusing on this week on the training track to get over the Pies? Well, you mentioned that the Magpies have chalked up those two wins now. So had a look at those rounds four and six wins to see if anything stood out. And the first thing was the lower turnovers from the Magpies in those two rounds. So in rounds four and six, they had 13 and 19 turnovers respectively, and they've been the lowest uh, by far for them this year. All other matches have had 23 or more general play turnovers. Um, and you know, forcing a high number of turnovers from your opposition will always work in your favour. Um, and it's something that the Vixens have done well in uh, some of their bigger wins this year. Uh, and it seems the Magpies have been much cleaner in their wins. So it's going to be a real battle there to see what happens with the Magpies turnover game. And that might really dictate how the match goes. Um, and, you know, there's been some games where the Magpies shooting accuracy has also been a little bit off, um, recording nine or more misses in five of their six games this year. And as you kind of alluded to earlier, even in their latest win against the Firebirds, they recorded 20 misses with a shooting percentage around 77%. But the Firebirds only reeled in five of those 20 misses. So if the Magpies are going to have another one of these games where they miss a lot of shots, the Vixens should really be looking to take advantage of this and be on the ball for the rebounds this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of looks that you're giving defenders at the ball. And, you know, the Vixens obviously pride themselves on those doing those really simple things well. Um, now, as I keep mentioning during the pod, we're really super keen to get Vixens fans involved as much as we can in the podcast. We'd love to get some questions or queries from you regarding the stats for the Vixens or more broadly speaking across the league. Let us know via your favourite social media platform by using hashtag the Fox Hunt pod and we'll look to include them in this segment, which we like to call Fox Answers the Fans. Today, we've got a bunch of really great questions. So let's dig into them. The first is from Jason McIntyre on Twitter, who is a mad Sunshine Coast Lightning fan by all reports. Jason wants to know, Aaron, what is the largest margin that a side has reeled back in during the super shot period? Which I think is a great question because a lot of our common knowledge that we rely on as commentators and myself as a journalist about can they come back, how long does it take to score a goal, some of that knowledge has got to go in the bin because we ha obviously have this new rule and it doesn't seem to look like it's going anywhere. It sounds like a really complicated one to work out to my words first brain. How did you go, Aaron? What's the answer? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, if there's anything the fans love hearing about, it's the super shot. Um, <laughs> so we can really dig into, I guess, how the margins in matches have changed uh, during that power five period. And so to start with, I won't go into um, the largest margin someone's reeled back in, but start with the biggest change in margin during a power five period altogether. And it actually happened in uh, this year in round two between the Magpies and Fever, where they were tied at the beginning of the Power Five period in the first quarter. Yep. And the Fever actually blew the Magpies out by 10 goals by quarter time. So this was the biggest shift in margin uh, in a Power Five period ever. Uh, but surprisingly here, the Fever only shot one super shot during this 10-goal blowout oh, wow. in, was, in the five-minute period. I was about to say, so did Sasha Glasgow shoot five super shots in that time? No. No, it didn't seem to be the case. Uh, so, and not surprising with the fever. It's not really how they go about their, their business. Um, but the biggest margin that's actually been chased down by a team was in the Super Shots first season, 2020. 
and not unexpectedly it was by those super shot experts the giants and you know it probably led to a pretty exciting finish it was in the last round of the regular season the giants were trailing the swifts by nine goals at the start of the power five period and they managed to drag them back for a draw um, with a very different strategy here um, they slotted in six super shots in this period to bring it back to that that level pegging by the end of the match uh, and I have to give an honourable mention to the Thunderbirds here, who, against the Fever in this same final round of 2020, dragged back an eight-goal margin at the start of the final Power 5 period to knock off the Fever by one goal. Wow. I mean, we we knew, right, that that was potentially a result of that new rule. But to, to hear it so starkly is really interesting. I think I need to sit down and, and make up a little ready reckoner for myself for when I'm watching the game so I can understand, can this team pull this back, can't they? But as you say, it does very much depend on which team it is. It's, speaking of teams, I do have one more for our keen Sunshine Coast Lightning fan. Um, looking at the Lightning's best effort, it was against the Firebirds in the very first game the Super Shot was was present round one of 2020 game one Wow! so the lightning ate into an 11 goal lead by the firebirds in the second quarter to bring the margin back to two by half time with five super shots in this second quarter so that very first game you know it was probably looking like this new super shot was gonna totally revolutionize the um that, that last five minute period but these um changes in margin of eight to nine goals are sort of few and far between yeah, it's interesting about yeah the what what's that expression that people use? You know the uh, the news of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Perhaps that applies to you know those of us, and I was certainly one of them that that felt like the game was going to be irrever- irreversibly changed uh, by the super shot. But I mean eleven yeah eleven gold lead uh, pre super shot, the game's over for all intents and, mm, and purposes. For sure, that's huge. So yeah. next we have a great question from Charlotte Burns, also on Twitter, which relates specifically to the Vixens. Charlotte wants to know, now there's a few moving parts to this, which defender in the league is the cleanest, which of course refers to has the least number of penalties, but also the most effective, that is, has the most gains? And she jokes, why is it Joe Weston? Which, to be fair, Charlotte made me smile. Um, Charlotte apologises if this is a simple chi-square that a grad student could do. And if it makes you feel any better, Charlotte, I don't know what a simple chi-square is. So I'm even further behind than than you are. So is Charlotte's feel right here, Aaron? Yeah, it's a good question. I think this might be the second time we've heard from Charlotte this uh, season. Uh, And also good to see, sounds like she's got a little bit of statistical or research methods knowledge under there talking about these different types of analyses we can do. Um, I didn't go down that route with this one. What I did here was create a ratio of penalties to gains. So basically what this means is the number of penalties a player gives away for every gain that they get, and you want this value to be lower. Uh, And I limited this to players who have had at least 100 gains in their ANZ or SSN career, uh, which resulted in having a look at 49 players. And I noted online this week that Charlotte was asking these questions and also kind of wanted to know why people talk about Shamira Sterling so much. Um, And it may be because she actually tops this list. She only gives away 1.7 penalties per game, which was number one out of all these players. Um, Charlotte's favourite here, sorry to disappoint her, (laughs) but Joe Weston actually ranked 34th out of the 49, uh, giving away 4.6 penalties per game 
So a, a little bit higher there than, than our number one Sterling at 1.7. Uh, some other notable names near the top of this list. We had Jeeva Mentor ranking fourth with 2.7 penalties per game. And she actually has the most gains out of any player on this list at 867, which is quite a lot over a career. Uh, M Mannix is the highest ranked Vixens player on this list, sitting at number seven with 2.8 penalties per game. Uh, and after some, some little mentions on Twitter this week, we know Bianca Chatfield's probably listening. <laughs> And she's sitting about middle of the pack here at number 24 with 3.97 penalties per game, which is right around where current player Ash Brazel is sitting. Wow, what a great comparison. I love that metric of number of penalties a player gives away for every game they get. I think we need to give that a name now that you've invented it. Aaron, let us know what you think, listeners. We should... Uh, that's that's not on me. You're the expert with the names and <laughs> we will, naming segments We and will things. come up with something. I mean, it's also it also prompts an interesting discussion too, right? Are all penalties bad? Do, you know, do defenders necessarily have a metric? Do they get a number of penalties? Um, I think I've said before on this podcast, not all penalties are created equal. We know some Sometimes they're put in for a specific purpose. But how fascinating and I guess not surprising to see Jeeva Mentor so high up there as well. Um, and look, mm-hmm. we've touched on already the Vixens take on Collingwood at John Kane Arena on Sunday. And before I ask you for your performance prediction for this for that game, Aaron, let's first check how you went last week. For the Thunderbirds game, you thought the Vixens would get back to looking after the ball and keep the number of turnovers to under 20. And you got that one wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is becoming more of a pattern for me, I think, <laughs> uh, from a trends perspective. But yeah, as we touched on earlier, not the cleanest of games for the Vixens this year. And so I actually felt a little bit let down by this because, you know, the Thunderbirds had close to the lowest number of games by an opposition the Vixens have seen all year. Uh, but it was just about the Vixens' highest game for unforced turnovers leading to yeah. this high turnover number. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this predicting turnovers a rest for okay. the next few weeks, okay. I think. I think that's I'm going wise. to steer clear of that. <laughs> and you also predicted the Vixens would continue on what has been a high-scoring trend. That meant them scoring more than 60 against the Thunderbirds, and I think you might have noted on Twitter at three-quarter time. Sadly, that was another miss. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd called that one pretty early. And, you know, I after watching a full game and the way Adelaide put, plays, I regret suggesting that someone was going to score 60 against them. However, there were a couple of quarters with the second and the fourth where the Vixens were on pace yeah. for this score of 60. They scored 15 in each of those quarters. Yep. Uh, and you might guess it was the turnovers that probably played a part in this final yeah. low score particularly in the third quarter where the Vixens had nine turnovers that yeah. really limited their scoring opportunity. And, you know, if they had have limited that in the third quarter, I think they might have pulled away a little bit more. So what have you got for me ahead of round seven, Aaron? Well, as I kind of alluded to there, I'm sensing a recent pattern with my predictions over the last few weeks not going so well. <laughs> so I'm thinking of trying a little bit of reverse psychology here. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at Kumwenda and her scoring this week, uh, she's been scoring quite well across this season and being really consistent, uh, reaching 35 or more goals in four out of the six matches. Mm. Uh, so keeping in mind my overall angle here, Erin, mm-hmm. my prediction is that Kumwenda is not going to reach this 35-goal mark on the weekend. Why? Why are you predicting that? 
Well, my predictions have been pretty terrible lately. So, um, you know, she's she's definitely not going to get to that 35 goal mark. Okay, well, we'll reconvene on Twitter at three-quarter time of the game, perhaps, to see how on track you are. <laughs> Look, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. That's our show. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to chatting again next week.